If you look at what the Roman Catholic Church has done as an organisation throughout its existence, and it has done some very bad things, very bad things indeed, and yet people still want to belong to the Roman Catholic Church and call themselves Christians. That makes no sense. So, guys, we have um, another special guest. This is going to be something. This is I would like to classify this podcast as story time because uh, you normally say what? Uh, go grab a, a cup of tea. Is that what you That's said? Right. Exactly. Normally? A cup of tea. <laughs> it's very nice and British. Nice and relaxing. Go get a cup of tea, which we have another podcast called Biscuits and Tea. Oh, that, um, yeah, that's quite interesting. That is. You're in a few of the guys, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, guys, this is we're going to get into a whole lot of stuff that I know uh, plenty of people know I'm interested in. Um, but uh, finally, we have somebody who's incredibly knowledgeable, so I won't be talking out of my ass. And uh, he can tell us what's going on. So, John, uh, why don't you give a little quick intro into who you are? How do you do, William? Um, I am John F. White. I run a YouTube channel called Crickenford, and there I take an academic look at mythology. And that means I try and let people understand where myths come from, where the motifs come from, what they mean, and their origins. And what people find fascinating about this is we can trace many myths back, not hundreds of years or thousands of years, but some tens of thousands of years. And what that means is that we really all are from the same seed this is all the same people and that's really fascinating yeah and so i i i binged quite a bit and so you have a specialty though what what would be your specialty um i'm educated in anglo-saxon and nordic mythology okay Uh, so so northwest europe is my real specialist subject europe i'm pretty good at Mm -hmm. indo-european sure I consider myself okay. pretty knowledgeable. Okay. Then uh, we'll, we'll get to your specialty here in a sec. So I know you're, you're going to have uh, some good comfort. Let's take you out of your comfort zone slightly and uh, head into the Vedas. There's a whole lot we're going to go through, guys. So uh, definitely, I just want to start here. Could you explain what the Vedas are? And then I just have a, a little bit of a question, just an understanding to, to, we'll go from there, basically. Okay. So you're talking about the Rig Vedas. They um, are associated uh, with a culture in India, the Vedic culture primarily. They are considered our oldest religious texts. So um, they're probably about three and a half to 4,000 years old, the texts themselves, but they probably go back another 1,000 years or so, the, the premise of them. And they are, well, there's a whole, there's masses of them, and, and they're in like poetic form. And what we find about these texts is that many of the older stories we know are poetry because it's a lot easier to remember poetry than it is to remember prose. And so the, the many stories talking from how the world was created, how, how dragons were slain, and generally how to behave in life. So what, what do you take then? This is something we should probably also get into. I mean, the fact that you're studying mythology, where do we draw the line if, between factual mythology? We've got, I mean, how do we... Uh, how, is there any truth? Are they pulling from truth in certain things that they say? And, you know, in the Vedas, like, for instance, what do you take from things called, like, the Siddhis? What do you take from stuff and them purporting to do things? How, how do we, so, you know? So, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, mythology is based on truth. It's not a story. So, mythology was used to explain how people thought things were, but didn't necessarily 
understand how they really were. So they make up a story about it, but that story they considered real. And there's a real difference between myth and story. So stories tend to be sort of um, often pictorialised or iconographised by our ancestors, where myths tended just to be told. And so, so you actually find, certainly if you go back to Paleolithic times, mythology is very rarely represented, but stories are. And so we, we've lost, we, so we know a lot of stories, but we don't necessarily understand why mythology uh-huh. is what it is, which is why you know, there's, there's a lot of academic research in to try and uncover that. So myth, yes, is based on reality. So normally based on something that has happened, but the reasoning they use for that thing happening is often made up. Okay. In our, in our modern age, we like to feel that we have a better grasp on reality and the nature of things than they did. Do yes. you feel yeah, that give, that's true? Yeah, given a, yeah a, a, a real example, a different example is they felt the rains and monsoons came because uh, in, in India, their storm god Indra killed a dragon, which was withholding water in the sky. So when you heard thunder and lightning, that's Indra fighting the dragon and when he kills the dragon then psh, the water's released and there's rain and that's what rains you kill a dragon <laughs> and that is common throughout the world that's a, that's a really common motive okay okay so killing a dragon is causing rain is a is a common myth amongst yeah. it's, it's wow. a part of the core religion of mesopotamia mm-hmm. we see it uh in in basically the early european farmers we call them more neolithic farmers when they wanted rain for the crops they blamed that on water. That eventually, that dragon came part of the creation myths, many creation myths. Social water in China, it's the dragons that created rain. And Australia, South Africa, it was the dragon that put water on the soil to make the earth grow and become fertile for people to live. So, yeah, dragons have often been associated with water. And that only changed about six and a half, seven thousand years ago when we started farming cows, and then things changed. And that's a very interesting. If we could look at okay okay so things change when we started farming cows does that have anything to do with the uh, is that related to the hindu religion and their uh, reverence yeah, of the cow or? So. so yes the cow so when you're farming crops obviously crops are important to you in fact they're very important to you because once you stop farming meat you'll you, you get weak and you have to eat more food so farming was a agricultural farming was a really bad move for the health of humans so which is why we're really puzzled why we started to do it but as soon as you start farming meat like cows, then you're actually eating a lot better and cows become really valuable. And so if cows are the most valuable thing, then you build your stories around cows. And so what the people we call Proto-Indo-Europeans or people who spoke a language called Proto-Indo-European started to, to create a religion based on the cow. And the cow was important and that myth travelled through Persia into India. And there the cow was sacrificed in creation to create, pe- uh, create animals and vegetables and so is considered sacred which is why you can't kill cows in hinduism uh, but in europe it europe was very much an agricultural farming base and so the cow wasn't used in the same way but you still see it in myth like old norse mythology there's a cow called the in the creation myth with emir and emir suckles on the thumbler to get strength so uh with all that though is it not or should we should we find it weird I mean, you just said that the myth spread, right? But mm-hmm. is it not weird that separate cultures in different places and times had similar myths? Well, is there no, is there nothing is, weird about that? Or That's a brilliant question because that's, that's what everybody tends to challenge from when I say, oh, the, so 
a mere suckling of Thumbla the cow to get milk in their creation myth is the same as Romulus and Remus suckling the wolf to get milk in their creation myth. Uh, and, and so we see a slightly different view in Persia of where the cow sacrificed in India. But it's all come from the same people. And like you just said, will people then say, well, how do you know that's the myth that has dispersed and not people coming up with the idea? And that is because the people in the myth with, with the cow at the start of creation, whose names originally were Manu and Hemo, which means man and his twin, that name are consistent in all those stories. So if someone just thought of the story of a cow's important, they wouldn't have come up with the same names of the people with the cow. Not, not in Norway and in India. But you have Manu in India and you have Manu uh-huh. in Norway. Wow. Uh, can we let, let's talk a little bit about the oldest creation myth. I saw a video oh. and something that you, you, yes. you went on because I know that's going to also uh, bridge things in with plenty of religions, pull their, their power from this. You know, we got this, we know how it started, you know? Yes. <laughs> well, they, they really don't. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> most creation myths we know today stem from the, the Indo-European myth uh, because the Indo-Europeans spread over it say, to India and Europe, and those people then went on to colonize a lot of the world and spread their influence. But before then, there was a myth. And that very first myth we can trace back into Africa. And there, there was a motif uh, called people coming from the underworld through a tree. So originally, people thought uh, that people came into the world climbing from underground and out of a tree. And that eventually turned into a myth where an animal or a person was on water and there was no land and dived down to the bottom of the water, like the bottom of the sea, touched the bottom of the sea and brought that mud up to the surface. And when it hit the surface, land grew. Uh, and then that changed to from going to the bottom of the sea, grabbing land and coming up and the land grows to stories you hear about Noah, for example, and his doves. So when Noah releases a dove and it flies off and grabs branches and comes back, that is actually a evolution of that earth diver myth. He's it, just just changed the direction of it. it you know, dove tra- travels horizontally rather than vertically. Um, but all this tends to probably stem back from a very early myth where it's, just, it's thought that man may have well thought he excreted land out of himself. Um, okay. Because it, it had to be born somehow, the earth, you know, and men wanted the world to be shaped in their image rather than women's image and not wanted to be sexist here but most mythology up until recently was written by men you know, for men about men doing it you know, adam created eve from his body your god created eve from adam's mm-hmm, body mm-hmm. you know it was always man that done it and so you know there, there are things you get Freud, although he's got this um recognition nowadays saying things oh this is sort of pregnancy envy by men yeah, wanted to give birth to something. But yes, if, you, if you're a primitive man and you excrete, then you know, you've created something almost from nothing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and they just had that process and that is how land created and that developed into, say, the, the tree myth and then the earth diver myth. Sure. And we, then we see these myths, the earth diver and, and the, the dove myth, as I call it, and then that goes on to an animal in a tree dropping fruit and where fruit lands, that turns into land, um, just spread to many myths around the world. Wow. So that's, that's the very first sort of creation motif. We haven't actually got the whole myth, like the whole story, but we know that part of it. That's how they think land was created. 
and you you touched on the uh the flood myth which uh the origin of the flood myth is mm-hmm. one of those things that you kind of learn about later on that has its ties to what things like epic epic of gilgamesh and maybe other things before that mm-hmm. so what are the true origins of the flood myth and does that negate so, the story of noah in any sense like yeah, so, it's the way christians modern christians feel yeah so one of the things about mythology i'll say is that when, when you study it and you start seeing that myths develop over time you start really like realizing that all stories religious or not are man-made and that, that, that you know if you, if you start realizing that then that's, that, that's, you have to look at the world in a very different way anyway uh, but yes the the flood myth itself looks like it stemmed from southeast asia so uh, China and the islands around there. And that probably happened maybe 30,000 years ago or so, we believe. You can trace it back to there. And we think that coincides with sea level um, rises and, and lowering because of the Ice Age. So when Earth goes through an Ice Age, all the ice builds up by taking seawater out of the sea and into ice. And with seawater out of the sea, sea levels drop significantly. And there, where you have islands, those islands start linking up, you have a large land mass. And you could literally walk from Scotland to about 20 miles away from the Australian mainland without having to cross sea. And so there's only a little gap there to, to travel. So we believe that when the sea levels sort of rose again after an, after an ice age and all that land in Southeast Asia turned back into Indonesia and, and the Philippines, and Cradle Rose Islands, that probably was the seed to start talking about floods. And then we see, say, the motifs used there, and they use the earth diver motif from the creation myth. They actually repurposed that into the flood myth, and it was that that went back into the Near East and became Noah's flood with the dove. What then do you give, and I've heard this theory and, and with a bit of an understanding with, I didn't hear so far back as 30,000 uh, years, but like, right, the talk, I, when I've seen this, uh, they talk about what, 10,000 years ago or roughly something like this, right? That something happened. Oh, yes. The Younger Dryas period is what you're thinking of. Okay. The Younger Dryas period. Is that not where they, I no. saw, I feel like people link up that experience right there with, Okay. Okay, that's what that, I thought. So you're saying it goes period, deeper. Yeah, yeah, that's about 12,000 years ago where there was a sudden dramatic climate shift across much of the Earth. Not all of it, so it wasn't an ice age, it, uh, but, but there was sort of mini ice ages on certain parts of the world. So we were a bit confused on why that was. Um, but yeah, so, so there, and that raised and lowered sea level significantly, but the, there was before then, 20,000 years ago, something called the glacial maximum, and that's when the last ice age peaked. And that was when glaciers were all the way down to southern England and across mid middle of Europe. Um, and so that pushed all the populations together who were in northern Europe down south, and that caused a lot of change and, and cultural shifts. And we see that in, in population changes and migrations. And it's when that, that finished about 18,000 years ago, sea levels started to rise again. And, and everything was normal before the younger drafts went when the sea levels lowered again. But because that was the most recent one, people think, oh, it must be that. But actually, we can trace through. So how we do this is we can look at the languages spoken and the stories spoken by various cultures around the world and understand how and when they migrated and use that to work it out. So, for example, if we see myths told in North America by uh, First Nation Americans, we can often 
providing they're not Christianly influenced. So I, through colonization has, has influenced their story. So if we know they're earning that for the language spoken, we can tell that they must have come across when there was a land bridge between Siberia and North American continent. And so that means that's got to be at least 14,000 years ago. But then, yeah, and because you can see different tribes have different genetic makeups, you can actually tell, well, was that part of the first migration in the glacial maximum, which is 20,000 years ago, or a later period, maybe 15,000 years ago? And that's how we can start using that. So we map the language, the, the type of story, the motifs used with genetic information and understanding how migrations worked to build up a statistical model whether it is probable that that motif spread. So if you want me to be honest, everything I say today, there is always an element of doubt. But what I am saying is what is the most probable outcome based on the academic work we've done to date. I appreciate that with the, the fact that, yes, there is, you know, an, an element of doubt. But what I what confuses me is I went to school and school told me things were like this. And so let me see if I can formulate uh, my question in the proper way. Based on what you know and based on all the things that, let's say, that the ac academic world and what you understand of the, the traveling of the stories, languages and understanding of the glaciers and the ice ages, isn't it, I would say, isn't it likely that we are missing possible civilizations underwater, completely smashed, gone? Like, do we, are we, are we missing something? Like, or it, it, given that there's a little bit of doubt, is that possible? That's what I want to understand, because I know that that's a big thing out there that people feel as if, and I, I won't say the buzzword Atlantis, uh, <laughs> but we, I can definitely ask you about that because actually that's really, I, I didn't even write that down, but I got to know what, what you, what you think about that. But in general, it, it would make sense though, that we were, that we, I, I don't know to the, the, to the level of the development of the civilizations, but I mean, if there's these large land masses and these people settling, are we missing something? What people don't tend to understand, well, they don't necessarily conceptualize when they think about history is actually how long time is and how slowly things happen, but how much change that happens over a long time. So things just don't suddenly change. People don't suddenly just migrate over a night time. Things take years to happen. So sea level rises will happen over the course of a thousand years, let's say. Okay, so, if, so without doubt, there were large cultural groupings which are now underwater, like their, their, their buildings or their homes underwater. but only in a few instances would I say that that sea level rise caused the wiping out of a civilization. It wouldn't have. They would have seen the sea level come up you know, for six inches a year for 20 years. You know, they're not going to go, oh my, you know, I was just going to stay on the beach and let it drown me. No, they'd moved on. People, I mean, the, the pyramids, for example, is a good one. Right. So people think, oh, pyramids, modern technology must be aliens or whatever. Or some people think that. But for about five or 6,000 years before the pyramids built, where you were spending that time building irrigation and and farms and mining or, or or working stone to build sort of I say the irrigation channels and the and the and the, the buildings and all these things. And when you've got that much experience stone, make, making pyramids isn't as big a jump as you think. Yeah, you because know, you know how to work stone. So yeah, because you've build, been building mile long channels in the desert for right. Last year, you know, you, people just don't get that that there's a I see. a large number of causes for something to happen, and that can happen over hundreds or thousands of years before we suddenly see something different happen. Right? Yeah. 
the progression. So there's a progression that would happen. And that makes sense, obviously, with the, the sea levels rising and dropping. That it doesn't happen overnight. I thought that the theory on the, the Younger Dryas was that it was a cataclysmic event. That it was either something happened and poof, boom, you guys are gone. Probably happened over maybe a, a few years, a couple of years. And there may have been tsunamis and things like that. And there certainly were. So we know that Britain, the United Kingdom, used to be attached to Europe through a landmass called Doggerland. And we know that so that was uh, pre-Younger Dryas. That was definitely there. How long ago? The Younger Dryas event, uh, the, the, the rise of sea levels after Younger Dryas removed some of it. But then there was a tsunami in Norway, uh, a landslide under the sea, which then produced a tsunami which pretty much wiped out Doggerland. So that, there was a cataclysmic event. Say, but we didn't have cities then. I mean, we, we were just still in little huts and things. You know, we didn't, oh. didn't lose the the, the wondrous secrets of sure. life and all the aliens that were there who were living in Atlantis. You know, weren't caught unawares. You know, it's, it's, it's something. Tell me about Atlantis then. Tell me, tell me, tell me more about this because from what I understand that the story, the only, and you probably, I would love to know if this is true too. The only source that we have for Atlantis is comes from Plato. Is that true? Well, he's the original source, yes. And from then you've got embellishments, you get embellishments and... Okay, he's the original source. He's clearly taken it from someone well, else, though? I can't tell if he's taken someone else or he's made it up himself, but I, th- I think he says um, okay. 9,000 years previous, there was this land and tell me how, how does sure. a, a lineage of people remember the actual timeline in years exactly for 9,000 years to tell him it was 9,000 years ago to allow people like Graham Hancock. Uh, he says, right. you know, he uses that as, oh, well, it must be Atlantis because it ties him in the Younger Gyrus period. But, yeah, you know, there's no way a lineage uh-huh, of people uh-huh. could count 9,000 years. Yeah, between 1,000 BC. Okay. I have no idea how that would even be possible. I want to push back just to get your answer because I have no idea. Uh, what about if you could do it through what did the Egyptian kings have? The kings list, right? Which I know to a certain point is considered. Oh, no, no. Well, well some kings live hundreds of years in that list, which. Um... <laughs> I, that's exactly. So, what's, how does that work, though? Isn't it accurate to some point? Don't we, can't we actually use it? Um, it, it it's, a guide. it's a guide in terms of the sequence, sequence of kings, uh-huh. may be accurate, but maybe. The, the okay. years associated with okay. them may not be as accurate. Okay, cool. I mean, because but what most people don't realize is, is not many people really bothered about their age. You know, even a thousand years ago, you know, they worried when it was summer. They was worried about when it was winter, but they didn't really worry about what age they were. They just worried that they could you know, grow up and fight in a That's war. That's a good point. Get married. Uh, or have okay, so then, so yeah, given so the, the whole, or the biggest hole, obviously in in the Atlantis idea and where it's it's spurred on to a whole lot okay from from all that is that plato is the original source and when when did things start getting aliens slash city under the water you know everything that happened did it happen fairly after I mean, plato I can tell you a piece of mythology that's happened in the last hundred years that has done exactly the same thing okay so a man was walking okay. through i think it was yeah. nevada or arizona and he found a piece of nuclear, it was a nuclear testing balloon. So they floated in the sky to, to analyze atomic bombs going off, and it, a bit of it crashed, and he took it home. And 50 years later, we have Roswell, and aliens exist, and that was a flying saucer, and we've got live aliens. Uh-huh. And that's in an age where we have newspapers, 
uh-huh. and radio and television and a better education system. And yet there are people who believe that sure. bit of foil and stick has turned into something more. And that's how humans are. We like to <laughs> embellish. <laughs> but that, that's a real myth. That's, but that is modern mythology. Sure. If the same thing becomes a myth. I don't know enough about the Roswell. I should actually probably have someone. I don't know who I would have on. But what made it worse is because the U.S. Air Force is there with its secret base and secret missions, it just adds to the air of mystery. Yeah, No one knew what this thing was because it was quite unusual back in the day. Okay. You, you mentioned something. This is now in, in, your, in your world before we, we actually go back to something else. I can't pronounce it properly. I want to say Yggdrasil? The Yggdrasil yeah. secret? Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil. Okay. Can you tell me what this was? I didn't get a chance to watch this. Okay, so the Yggdrasil is what is known as the world tree in the uh, mythology written in Old Norse texts. So that's the Nordic mythology, Scandinavian sort of myth. And it is a tree which has a number of different purposes. And what makes it interesting, so it's meant to sort of connect all the realms of the Nordic world together. So um, Mythgard, which is Earth, in effect, with Asgard, which is where some of the gods live, and, and to hell. Um, but the thing about it is that there's a poem and in, uh, called the Hovermol, and the Hovermol is, is a really interesting poem. It's over a thousand years old, and it is basically like a, a list of proverbs, I say so, and it tells you how you should live your life. And it, it's really interesting because it applies pretty much as today as it would a thousand years ago. Yeah. You know, be hospitable invite people in, you know, if you get two men in a bar drunk, they will fight, you know, and there's some other, well, politically incorrect stuff, but it is pretty true to life. Anyway, there's a part towards the end of that, uh, that which talks about Odin, and Odin is the chief god of the pantheon, uh, and Odin hanging himself from the Yggdrasil. And people, it's quite ambiguous, and People have all been working out for a long time. I mean, there's been masses written about this. And so what actually does that mean? What is it Odin hanging himself? Is it someone hanging himself for Odin? And so what does the Yggdrasil really mean? And, and Yggdrasil sort of means Odin's horse, in literally. But what I, in the video I put out, I was actually saying what's happened there is poetic simplification. So uh, uh, an example of poetic simplification is Frankenstein. So if you say to anyone who's Frankenstein, they say, oh, it's the monster from Mary Shelley. But that isn't. Frankenstein was the person who made the monster. But over time, people sort of simplify, say, oh, Frankenstein's the monster. Well, that's what's happened. It looks like it's happened to Yggdrasil, where it was called Odin's Yggdrasil. So it wouldn't be the horse of o- Odin's horse of Odin. So, so that doesn't make sense. It must mean something else. And so that's what the video is about. It explains what I think the origin of the Yggdrasil is, which is more to do with a tree of knowledge or a tree of life, which would really actually link it to motifs in other beliefs throughout Europe and Persia and uh, in, into India. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's really what that is. That the, 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 What we often see now in mythology, in the names and we associate with things today, back then were very different. People had a different view of life and, and a different way of looking at things and people have to accept that through time not only does language change but the meanings of the words we say change and that's another reason why mythology is complicated (laughs) 
I mean, very complicated. I mean, it seems it's an endless, it seems an almost endless game with tools that are, you know, uh, you're limited with your tools. I mean, you need a time machine, you need to go talk to people who aren't here. You need to go visit places that don't exist, <laughs> you know. Exactly. That, but that's why we use statistical probability to say what we think is the best answer. But you'll always get people who argue, well, right. something less probable yeah. could well be the answer. And you've got to say, well, yeah, it could be. But prove to me, yeah, whoever it is is stronger than mine. Sure. Can you, can you tell me more about, this has always been an interesting thing that I never uh, dug into, but you always see it. I mean, you see it in video games, you see it in, in movie things, the Berserkers and uh, I believe Wolf Warriors. Uh, so there is truth there. So the there's a, a professor called Bruce Lincoln who wrote a brilliant article on this. Uh, he called the Lysa. And the Lysa is the Greek word to describe it, which means uh, rabbit. Okay, it's a sense, when you're in a sense of lysa, you're, you're, you're rabid, but it's a, it's a special kind of rabidness. So it's a rabidness that is applied to horses or other animals, but not wolves. And he concludes it's not applied to wolves because wolves are naturally like that. They don't need to be ill to be like that. So about that is that state of mind, that way of being when, when you're a particular person that makes you almost invincible. And then that is applied to various cultures. So we see the berserker, which means bare skin in the Scandinavia, where people would wear a bare skin and get in this rage and sort of be very formidable. But you see it as included Greek, that's, that's mentioned. You've seen it in Persia. You see it in a number of, of and you see it in Rome as well, where people could wear lion suits or wolf suits. So it was a real thing, really happened. But where the considerations must be is how did they get into that state that's a very interesting thing one that I say it's a rabid state they say it's like imagine a an angry wolf state or a rabid animal yeah it's literally that's what it means to be i just well from just to sorry to cut in but like the idea essentially that they are these warriors that they're not going to feel any pain they're not going to, they're going to come yeah. through hacking and just through exactly. nothing, nothing scares them, nothing, whatever. And so there is a little bit of truth to the fact that there were some people running around like that in some sort of state like that. We don't know how they got into the state. We don't know if it's drugs or psychedelics or. Reality is that there was probably some drink associated with it that put you in that state. And we could talk about that because that drinks appears in many game mythologies across the Indo-European landscape. Uh, but okay. if you look at it in literature and mythology, you only find it's the heroes that came that way. So it's almost like you had to be an heroic warrior to be able to get that lighter, to get that rabidness. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be applied to anyone. They could try, but they wouldn't always get it. And it's things like this. So it's when you read mythology and you see disappear, so we, we see it, for example, a, a more uh, a lesser known one in the Tone, which is an, an Irish myth uh, about um, herding bulls across Ireland. The the main character there is Cú Cúlain, and he the Cú means wolf, and you actually see people describe him as, as a sort of a formidable hero, and you start realizing, ah, so if he's got that, that must be influenced from the Indo-European motifs. So it's it's, it's very much an Indo-European motif thing. Uh, this that, that particular thing so but basically it's, it's 
picking up those and saying, if you see it, Nathan, you can actually say, ah, oh, now I know where the influence has come from and you know, what, what the premise was behind it, that this was a heroic warrior who must succeed in whatever he's doing. What, what was the drink? So, in Vedic, so, so the Rig Veda, you talk about, they talk about Soma. S-O-M-A? That's Soma, M-A, yes. And that drink was used. Uh, you have it in Greek, uh, oh, there's a name, escapes me in Greek, but you also have something called the Mead of Poetry in Scandinavia, in the old, and, and it all does the same thing. So you drink it and it puts you in this hallucinated state, or almost certainly does. And there's a book called, the, there's a couple of ones, there's one called the Sacred Mushroom, the other one is the, the Immortality Keys, probably the most famous one, and that, that talks about it. And the author of that writes that this looks like it's come from something called barley beer in the Near East. And so his view is that in the early days of agricultural farming, so about ten to 12,000 years ago, if you picked up a, a handful of barley grains and put it in water, the dirt on your hands would help ferment the water and then the barley grains. And the barley grains themselves, there's a very common fungus. And that fungus we now know today is a key as a key chemical in which we use in psychedelics. So his premise is that perhaps it was that taking that barley grains, putting it in water, let it ferment, and it isn't beer as we know it today. But if you drink that, that would put you in that way. And then if you think about that, if you want, if you, so before then you, we were hunter gatherers eating nice bits of meat, you know, the, the odd well, know, deer or elk and, and maybe in your piece of fruit, but we stopped all that and decided to grow crops, which took a lot more effort. You got a lot less nutrition from it. You had to eat a lot more to get the same nutritional value. And so we actually see humans become physically smaller and weaker when they become farmers. Why did they do that? And one of the arguments in the immortality key is that we did it because actually we found by doing that, we had a, a good supply of, of this barley beer that put us in a very good state. And, and, it's, and it's pretty much that. That is when human civilizations really started to evolve at that point. So you could then also argue that actually having that happen to us put us in a mindset to expand and populate in a way that we would never have done. Sure. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, that is it's fascinating. That's that that part. I had a, I had a question down, and you've you've kind of just touched on it, but I was going to ask what the relationship uh, to all of the myths and kind of the creation stories, and as well as just us as as humans that you believe psychedelics and hallucinogens actually played. I mean, this is one thing that's debated quite a bit. But what what do you think based on what you what you know? I I think they were in there somewhere, definitely. I, whether how common it was, I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, I, I don't think it was a you know an everyday thing for everybody, uh, and I think it was probably ended up being quite controlled by religious groups and organisations because there's this the, the the increase of esoteric type knowledge started coming along, certainly in Egypt and in, in Greece, you see it, and Rome, and that's possibly where we start seeing that. And we do have fragments of what we call Orphic hymns uh, in. in Greece, where they sort of hint at how this is made, and again, it's barley and mint and water, and they say, and it's this, this barley with this fungus. I think it's called ergo something. Um, yeah, but yeah, say so it, it is a key chemical premise of a mm -hmm. psychedelic. So <laughs> I, it can't, and you can't have that in India as well, 
and in, in Norway and it not be a thing. And, and the thing about this summer as well, which, so we see that warriors, mm-hmm. the, the story is the warrior sacrifices this summer to the warrior god, normally a storm god, and the storm god gives the warrior strength. So in effect, it's, it's very similar to the sort of wolfish rage, the slicer myth. So you have this drink, you get this rage, and then you can go off and kill your dragon. Wow. That is a very much it. So, so it all seems to be linked like in a, a, an adaptation. Um. In that, that reminds me of a question. Valhalla is, uh, that's, that's within your realm right there. But I don't, I don't know actually the, the true understanding of Valhalla, what it, what it is exactly. But the question that I have on it has more to do with considerably quoted part about uh, people either, what is it? They're plunging to their death, die, jumping off the, is that mixed with Valhalla and that understanding? Or is that a different... It's it's definitely a Norse. Like for instance, it's one one of these. I mean, you must have seen some of these comedies, uh, Norsemen, for instance. I don't watch much telly. No, I watched it in I watched it in Danish. Uh, so it was it was it was a lot of fun. But they have this part there where there's a supposed either myth or understanding from the ancient peoples that you when you sacrifice yourself, uh, you had to like throw yourself off the cliff. You don't know about this. Uh, Okay, so yeah, they're, they're sort of taking it to an extreme. So, okay, um, in 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 reality, um, so it's quite complex subject. In reality, when you're born in this Nordic world, you your fates are known when you're born. So there are some Norns who who carve your fate into the roots of the Yggdrasil tree. So, so they're all over the realm, so they know wherever you are, and those fates tell you when you're going to, or or, or say you are going to die at this time. That is fated. And because you're fated, your death is fated, as a person, it doesn't matter what you'll do because you're never going to die until your fated moment. Okay? So that means that there's no point staying at home and missing the battle because if you're due to die, you're going to die at home. You might as well go into battle and, and not die. So that, that was the premise of it. And then Foul Hall, which is a more recent addition to disbelief the Nordic belief so it, I, I, because before I think it was just known as a oh, just a hall the hall of death rather than a, a place where people go when they die but you to go to Valhall you have to die in battle you have to die a, a, an honourable death and then only half the people who die an honourable death get to go to Valhalla and they go to Valhalla such that when the end of the world comes, which is called Ragnarok, it's a Nordic myth, uh, and Odin controls Valhalla, Odin can then use you in his army to help make sure Ragnarok doesn't end the world. And that's the whole point. So he, And so what happens is that Odin actually gets some of the best warriors killed, so he has them in his army <laughs> when Ragnarok happens. Okay. Okay. Uh, taking a hard turn left i'm not even going to preface this at all is jesus real which i mean was he an historical figure was jesus a real person who lived on earth like you and i are here right now that's the question my my if, if i had to put money on it i'd say no okay okay and why but, i mean so 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 it's myth, mythicism as i guess they call it but i mean there, there is it, it just seems odd. I mean, there will be some, there's some great scholars who have some good arguments to say, actually, there's enough evidence to suggest that he almost certainly was some kind of person. 
I, I think he's really, at the end of the day, a manifestation of a number of different stories and different people wrapped up in one. I mean, you can't be like that and have literally zero evidence of him until 50, well, 30 years after his death was when the first gospel was written. Um, yeah, and, and perhaps that there are stories of Jesus before Jesus was born. <laughs> this is what? Like, Wait, say that again? So there are? How is this? There, there, there are stories about a Messiah from God uh, being written before Jesus was born. Okay, related to the one who became the, the Christian Messiah? Uh, well, yeah, the or, same name. Yep, the same name was used, and he had only done certain things that, that were all then recounted in the New Testament as in different stories. But we see like... The, Where were they coming from? Um, so some of these are from Gospels that, that weren't published or, or, or texts that weren't published. I'm not... Not like the Gnosis, the apocryphal text yeah, or the, the ones that the they... apocryphals, because they were a bit later, but, okay. but there's some earlier writings, uh, I know oh. from about 50 BC, that start talking about the Messiah and, and uh, Jesus and things like that and, uh, coming. And yeah, it's... it's okay. uh, I say, to me, there may well have been a few people that did things that may have influenced some of the stories, but I don't think there was a single person that all those stories truly reflected. Sure. Is it, is it true that there is no proper historical evidence or probably, uh, for him outside of these Gospels? We don't have a tomb. I know we, there was this, this, the, 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 the hoax just a few years ago with the, I think, uh, that bone little box yeah, no thing. No evidence. No, it's like, it's... None. No, so, so the first written evidence we have of him that we can say is about him is the gospel, I believe. And then after that, there's independence. What you really want are independent sources. And they didn't start appearing until like a hundred years later, uh, yeah, after, after he was born. So, yeah, and, and they probably only started to appear because stories were being told by Christians anyway. So we hear about Pliny seeing Christians having a bit of a an uprising or causing a disturbance. I think that might have been in Anatolia, so Turkey. And he writes to the emperor, says, what do I do? And the emperor says, oh, don't worry about them. They're, not, they're nobody to worry about. But then he, I think he then talks to Tacitus, and Tacitus starts writing something. So then you start seeing him popping up, but only because people within the, the same sort of administrative branch of the Roman Empire are, are talking to each other. Rather than this, but um, yeah, Christianity, yeah, is a, a very interesting topic, especially the the organisations that then appeared from it. I mean, although well, we could we could talk for a week about those. I, I, yeah, I'm curious a little bit though. I mean, definitely if you can if you can go into some of it because I mean it relates to so many of people now because most people will not. I mean, no one's. I don't know anyone who's done a deep dive into everything that you're, you're, you're doing, but most people, it stays fringe, right? It stays superficial. Most people's religious beliefs aren't actually, most people can't pay attention anymore anyway, right? We're just sitting there TikTok and doing, we can't pay attention to anything. TikTok, Jesus. We're, we're, we're in trouble as, a, but uh, other than that, you, you can, you can talk to a whole lot of people in Western society and they'll tell you, you know, oh yeah, I'm Christian or I'm Catholic or I'm whatever. It means, it means nothing. You belong, belong to a group of people. And I've had this discussion. I've, I've said, look, if you look at what the Roman Catholic Church has done as an organization throughout its existence, and it has done some very bad things, very bad things indeed, and yet people still want to belong to the Roman Catholic Church and call themselves Christians. That makes no sense. But, you know, do you get other Christians saying, oh, don't, like Halloween is a good example. Christians, some, there are some more extreme Christians say, don't believe in Halloween, don't believe in ghosts and demons and all that. But then when you go to church, they say, uh, you know, bless the Holy Ghost. 
So <laughs> on one hand, they want you to believe in the Holy Ghost. On the other hand, don't believe in ghosts. You know, so what, what, and you see these contradictions all the time. There was some, some of the best stories I hear, like in the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church approved, I think it was six different heads of Mary, Jesus' mum, were on display in Europe at the same time. As 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 like the the actual head, <laughs> the, the, the actual head. So also either you know, the Virgin Mary had six heads, or there's also something else going on there. Um, but there's all sorts of things. So the Pope isn't actually the Pope. The, 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 he hasn't got that title. Then that's right. There is a Pope, but he belongs to a uh, an African sect of the Christian organization. There, there's all sorts of things that are just we just don't. I, I mean, I heard about there's some other Pope. They, uh, oh, the, yeah. what's there's the black pope. pope or there's yeah, another thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just yeah. found out about that. <laughs> but it, I said, I mean, we've got, if you realize, if you see what the original New Testament looked like before the additions and changes. Oh, talking about, uh, what is that? The, not the Council of Trent, but uh, when they, they uh, well, Long before that. So yeah, there's some before that. Uh, before that, you know, you actually see like the Gospel of Mark doesn't have Jesus um, resurrecting. Okay. Well, he dies in like chapter fourteen. Does he die and is this over? Girls turn up to the or women turn up to the tomb uh, and then run away scared and don't tell anyone he's gone from the tomb. There's none of him appearing in Nazareth or wherever. That doesn't happen. That's added later. We can actually prove that was added later. (laughs) And then gospel. So, so all these, and that's why it's all. As I say, you see it in all through mythology. In every other religion, you just see these myths develop and change. And what I, what I certainly know is that we build gods and religions in our own, what we want our own image then, you know, to make them like. Sometimes you want them in our own image, but sometimes you just want them to be what we want. And, and you see that very clearly in mythology. They're, they're nothing more than our own imagination. As a matter of fact, I think we had a pastor on another po- podcast, and uh, you know, I, mean, I asked him the exact same question, which of course he would cited no you know he's clearly real yes. yeah yeah he's he's clearly clearly a, a real real person and we didn't have enough time to kind of push to say you know why because that's that's the more interesting question is why why do you believe that uh but i, I don't even know how you're going to answer this question too because I, this is another video that i didn't see but you you have a video out there um on what to make of the story that jesus killed and cursed people oh yes the gospel of St. Thomas. so that is a bit tongue-in-cheek so okay, I'm normally very polite and unbiased about religions and, and people respect me for that. But occasionally I do have a little bit of flippancy at Christianity um, because it's so big and popular and there is so much, you know, they're just hypocrites in many, many ways and they're contradictions of galore. And so but we know this is a middle-aged story, so early middle ages. Someone wrote some child gospels about Jesus as a child. Um, and today they read like like a, a comedy where you know, it, 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 quite a, an R18 sort of comedy where, where Jesus, as a little child, comes along, gets upset with his mates and kills them because they upset him, you know, and then you know, makes adults blind because they tell him off or make they can't talk. And it's just like, yeah. wow. It's just yeah. like, uh, and they decided not to put that in the Bible for some reason. I, I can't quite work out why. But, it's, but yeah, but it's obvious it is, it, is, uh, it is written long after as a sort of maybe someone's, yeah, and at the time it was taken seriously. Sure. You know, when it was written, but now we know better. But then you ask yourself, well, if that wasn't taken seriously now, but what was then what, why can't you do the same with the other texts and the other writings? Sure. You know, they're, they're sure. Weird. Yeah. 
one of these things, and like you explained in myths, is that they're they're trying to understand their world. Um, and clearly, we don't have everything down, uh, you know, to to a T. Is there anything that they they understood through nature, right? I mean, they definitely did have a better connection to nature than we did uh, or we do now, which is very absent uh, for most people. Do you feel that they had some better understanding of reality to certain to a certain extent? Is there stuff that they knew uh, that we don't? Let, let's say. I mean, forgotten. I know. Yes. They're forgotten. Uh, sure. That, yeah. That that now that is a brilliant question. That is sort of one of the things that drives me to learn what I learned because part of me feels that this bad word to use right now, but the holy grail of, <laughs> of mythologies to yeah. try and cover this. Um, is it an analogy? Yeah. To uncover this. Is are there secrets they knew about the world that we've lost? Is there something? And what gets me is uh, so. So I say I'm more studying Indo-Europeans, and they had this view of the world being balanced, such that if you took from the world, you have to give it back. So, and their view was that in the beginning, I, I talked about these two characters, Manu and Yimo, man and his twin. Well, in the beginning, Manu sacrifices Yimo to build the world. Okay, and then he uses parts of different parts of Yimo's body to build different people on this world. So some people built from his head, some from his body, some from his legs. Uh, and so it is thought that you know you live, but when you die, your body then goes back into the earth, and your hair becomes grass, and your bones become rock, and your blood becomes water, and your flesh becomes soil, such that when someone is born again, they take from the earth, and they're they're their bones were made from rock and their blood was made from water. And so, in effect, they had this cycle that you must balance what you give. You know, whatever you take, you put back. And that I quite like. It's quite poetic and, and romantic, but I just like the, the fact that they had that view in life. You know, that if you have that as a, as a real belief guiding your everyday practice, then does that make, I don't know if that makes life better, to, but to me, it, it feels like that's a, a better attitude towards life than maybe wanted to be number one on TikTok. In general, yeah. In general, the balance thing, I mean, I don't know if this has any play, but I mean, it sounds, it's a. It's not exactly, but there is some similarities, obviously, to the yin-yang uh, exactly. understanding. Yeah. Right? The, okay, the so they were influenced by each other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so the Pengu is, is basically influenced. From, we believe there's some influence there. I think that's gave Bruce Lincoln who wrote a bit of a paper on that. Sure. Yeah. So, so okay. Really yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, that, that's something that fascinates me as well, because I mean, we're so locked into our worlds here and our, 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 our worldviews here, which uh, no one's saying we don't know a lot. I mean, we have, we're, we're the masters of matter and doing all this stuff, but you know, one wonders where we're headed with our technological advancements and how we kind of, exactly. eh, whatever, like, yeah, I don't know. There is no point to life. If you want to be philosophical about it, you just right. enjoy yourself and then die. Yeah. The question is, how do you want to enjoy yourself? Right. What's the best way? What should it be the way? way? Do I have a path? Is there a, a, a better exactly. way for it? Those are the questions that I think are are pretty much lost, and uh, and they're going to continue to get lost as long as you can't sit down and have a deep analytical look at your world, where you came from, why, why did all these people do all this? I mean, you have thousands of years of work from your species being done, you know, that builds upon you know, itself. And so you should probably look to see if they found anything (laughs) interesting. Yes, for us to be here, our our families went through so much. I mean, 
you know, war and famine and plague, and all, all sorts. Yeah, and yet we're here. We're that lucky to be here. Why are we not trying to give something back? Which is all why I do YouTube and possibly why you do your podcast. In a way, it's a way of not only learning and helping yourself grow, but you know, we have people to listen and grow too. And to me, that's why I do this. But sure. you hear stories of kids who just play computer games and want to do that for the rest of their life. <laughs> and yeah, they could be enjoying themselves doing that. But you think... Sure. When, when What's you your die, contribution? Want to be remembered exactly. Yeah. And there's a there's actually a poetic term in uh, Indo-European or Proto-Indo-European, which which goes, "Fame does not decay," uh-huh. suggesting that you know in, that's the way of being in, in, immortal. Because um, they knew they couldn't actually be physically immortal, but they knew if they'd done deeds that were so great, people would write poems about them. That's what you want to do. You want to be so great that people would write songs about you. Um, yeah, nowadays, you have to be. Uh, uh, sort of an ex-boyfriend of a, of a female isn't singer that, maybe, and then you get about you. Isn't that crazy? It, it, cra- it is crazy because, I mean, and, and it's funny, it sounds like, I mean, I, I see this quote in, in, in football uh, as well. I think Clarence Seydorf, if you know who he is, he put out a, I mean, do you know who Clarence Seydorf is? No, He's a fo- fo- footballer, excellent footballer from, from the Netherlands, played for AC Milan, okay. tremendously won the Champions League like with three teams. Incredible. Oh, wow. uh, and he uh, he said, Nowadays, it seems like people don't want to be good at the sport to get, you know, to get their notoriety. They just want to be, they just want to be known. And all the, the, the youth, there's a big push to just be known. And if you want to be a star, he's, he's like, just like, get good, go deep, understand it really well, train and, and, and go that, you know? And so it, it is funny to me, and I don't know if this is true. This is another question uh, I can, I can ask you. I know a lot of times the fall of the Roman empire is linked to this shift away from good values. I mean, it's obviously it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of things I'm sure. Uh, but there's this shift away from having good people in power. And then I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, you may not know this. since it's not necessarily your, your specialty, but I think they started to uh, revere uh, chefs and other things, things like uh, that kind of mimic what we do in our reality TV shows, uh, not necessarily uh, philosophers, not necessarily excellent politicians that were noble and things like that. But they started, you know, pushing up people that might not be this. They became the ones to look after. And then a couple generations later, you had people wanting to just let me just do this. Let me just be a TikTok star. And then before you know it, you have a couple generations that are. Ah, That's what happens. So you see this cycle. This is a, this is a well-known psychological cycle that. If you work, if you come from a, a sort of a poor background and you work hard, you become good. Your child will probably see off that, and they become good and rich, and they give to their child. And what you find is that the fourth generation has so much they go back to being poor again because they don't know how to work it. And you see that with with empires and with you know, kings and and there's all sorts. It's a very well known cycle. You see this, and that having we've been, that, that that was part of the reason for the Rome's change and collapse because it basically turned into the Roman Catholic Church basically became the Roman Empire and they had this awful and it was like just say lucky I mean it, 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 it was a perfect storm for that to happen it was almost like no change but yeah they they just didn't have the resources they became too big for what they were um, and it wasn't managed by the right people as well uh-huh. uh, then it, it, it does beg the question then why did Egypt last for so long I mean that is a massive empire for long way longer yeah. than oh yeah else. absolutely I mean, that, that's partly to do with how they were, they were, they were 
they were lucky in that again it, it, there's so many things so so uh weather wise geography wise they were lucky so when they started sahara was, was going through a, a green phase we call it um so the pyramids were built in, in grassland pretty much rather than so there was desert, grass there before there was grass there well certainly very close by it wouldn't have been desert like it is today the nile would have been a, a bigger river and in fact to me it very much hints that water covered much of the land around the pyramids and was one of the mechanisms used to transport and oh, to okay. um, refine the stones for the pyramids. Um, but so, so yeah, it's green. So, but also they, they managed to merge their two kingdoms because there was a North and South Kingdom and they merged those which helped. And it was just well run and they were in a, a place where they only had to defend sort of a, a, a smaller border. They couldn't be attacked from the North. They couldn't be attacked really from the east although they eventually would be um but, but that, that's when technology got better and yeah people yeah, can yeah. sail and, and the like so yeah they were just in a, 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 a nice spot yeah a very good place yeah they they did well you, you, will, you will get you know environments like that but again they, it wasn't perfect i mean there was a lot of incest in uh, egyptian royalty to keep the power there and that obviously then caused issues um as much as you'd like to think things were good there, all these pyramids were raided within the lifetime of the next pharaoh. It isn't, they weren't there. Yeah, people knew they were raided, which is why the tombs were then built where you didn't know they were. They were secret tombs. So you see that happening. Um, but yeah, they, they were, they were, I think there would always be an Egypt in our civilization. I think by the way things were in terms of there would always be a, there would have been a, a sort of a, a culture that, that had that, or, or something that stood out, because I mean, Greece was pretty, although it didn't last anywhere near as long, it, it, it had all that ability called the end of the Egyptian empire, really, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and went on. So, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, yeah we see examples like that. Um, the, but, but, I don't, but there's, we also see how empires change or cultures change, like Gebeki Tep. Are you familiar with Gebeki Tep? Yeah. yeah, 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 of course, in Turkey over there. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, I mean, that, that only lasted for like, period of time but it looks so successful but then they buried it and you think wait how go? do we that sounds crazy to me i've heard this so many times i don't understand because this place existed what nine thousand years ago or something like this uh yeah about eleven thousand years ago eleven thousand years 9, yeah yeah it, was, it stopped being used yeah sure how and why and and we didn't know about this like i grew up in with history books telling me that nope they were we didn't we didn't do it we were we were just still hunters and gatherers. And then, then, boom, this discovery happens. And it's like, no, there's this massive place out here where they were just, they were doing well. And like, and then they buried it. How, how do we know that they buried it? And what is the current uh, best understanding for why? We know they buried it because of the, the way the soil is packed into the remains of it. So you can just tell it was buried rather than it was destroyed because nothing was destroyed. It was just filled with earth, and you could just tell, okay. And it didn't fill earth naturally. You could tell it was the earth was put there deliberately. So that's how we know it's buried. Why? Well, yeah, to me, I'm not an expert on, on Quebecky TV, but all because there's a number of sites now around that region. But to me, the, this starts at the end of the Younger Dryas period, but finishes when agricultural farming is a major is now a major thing. So people have started to learn how to farm. And it may be that it perhaps wasn't in the best place for farming, or perhaps there were other cities elsewhere that were, were seemed to attract better riches or better quality. Or thriving, of life. maybe. Yeah. 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 We, we, we see that. So 
Yeah, but it, who, who knows? Okay. People have preferred to go down to the Near East, down the Tigris and Euphrates, and and and, and down there. So, okay. yeah, we, there, there's many options. We I don't, I don't think we ever truly know, but I'd love yeah. to try and understand the iconography there, because that's sort of the missing link in in terms of religious belief. You know, hunter gatherers we think were animists, so they they felt that things that moved had a soul, what's a better word for it. You know, rivers move, so there must be something alive in the river to make it move, the wind blows, it must be alive. But then when we start to sort of personify gods or put imagery to gods, when we started to farm in certain places, but there's this sort of jump between the two, which I'm not entirely sure what is going on there. It looks like there's some uh, yeah, astrological effects in there, possibly constellations, but we're, we're not entirely sure. I'm, I'm always a bit sceptical about some of those things without you know real understanding a few stars on a on a picture does not mean that's as an exact reputation uh, representation of the solar system for example where i see some uh -huh, uh -huh. would be academics say oh yeah there are nine nine stars on this map there must be a, a map of the solar system before we knew about it so it uh -huh. must be a vast alien uh -huh. technology and it's <laughs> atlantis <laughs> and uh, yeah, atlantis, atlantis and roswell atlantis, Israel. yeah exactly no, okay uh Last question real quick. Uh, let me throw out here, and I don't want to pick on Catholicism too much or Christianity too much, but I got I to gotta know, because uh, I think you, you've, you've done some, some work in this, in this area. Christmas, uh, we talk about it being a pagan religion. Is it a pagan religion? And you also talked about why December 25th. So maybe you could yes. touch on that. So um, definitely pagan religion, uh, because it's pretty much on winter solstice. So, and that was the most important day of the year for most pagans. So, most people, everybody talks about midsummer, anybody celebrates like longest day in summer. Actually, the longest night is the most important night because that's when you're closest to the dead, closest to your ancestors. And the day after that, the, the days would get longer and you knew winter was over. So, that, that, that was the most important night. Why Christians or the church? December 25th does look like it was based on the fact that they believed Christ was uh -huh. seeded at Easter and nine months after Easter is Christmas. And we see this because Christmas is also celebrated on the 6th of January in Orthodox religions and the 25th That's of right. December in that because they have different dates for Easter. Like the, the calendar was slightly different. Okay. And so we believe it wasn't that they picked 25th of December to necessarily conflict with paganism although there may have been a oh yeah if we do that we can also influence paganism right. and we see that with things like halloween and all saints days and all souls days again it's a, a mix of things there's never just one idea i don't think the church is that clever to come up mm -hmm. with one idea to, to do mm -hmm. it but yeah um, okay definitely. fascinating Fascinating. I, uh, I mean, you're, you're definitely gonna have to come back on. Maybe we'll, maybe next time, some other time we'll, we'll, we'll stick with one subject so we can go deeper in on it. But I just, I have too many questions, you know, I'm gonna have to make it like a three hour podcast of timer, you know, you're, you're over there. Maybe I'll come to you one of these times. No, I'll come to you. I don't mind this. Uh, yeah. Honestly, because I would love to have just a long, those are those type of podcasts you can listen to and stories and just really just Literally grab a cup of tea and just we sit there forever. Just, yeah, exactly. We literally have just scratched the surface of everything totally. we talked about. Totally. Um, okay. Well, where can people find more of this? Because I know they will if, they, if they're listening. Okay. So I have a YouTube channel called Crecanfold, C-R-E-C-G-A-N-F-O-R-D. And I'm John F. White. 
I don't really use other social platforms very much, so just look for me on YouTube, and hopefully it's one of those channels you didn't realize you wanted to watch until you start watching. Exactly. All right. So guys, we will link to everything. Obviously, if you're listening to this, it's in the show notes. Thank you. And uh, if it's on YouTube, link is in the description. Thanks a lot, man. This is awesome. I appreciate it. It's always been a real pleasure. Thank you.